Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. into the latest edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball as we dive further and further into the month of june of 2022 my name is tyler ron sam dykstra is in new york city what's going on dude hey tyler yeah this is going to be a little bit of a different episode just because there's so many moving parts not just ben who is who will join me later for a segment obviously he's been gallivanting around my native New England and, and hanging out with our pal Josh Jackson in Maine. Um, so we'll touch base with him in a little bit. Um, but yeah, you're going to Texas this week. I am. I am. I am. I, I was going to say I'm going to Brooklyn, which is literally what I do every day of my life. Um, but I will be at the Cyclones game on Thursday. So our uh, schedule is getting thrown around a little bit, but um, nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. just our busy season. Like we always say. Exactly. I am. Uh, I'm not going to Texas for work I'm going for a, uh, Wedding. Um, a friend of the girlfriend is uh, is getting married in Austin, so we are road tripping down there. My girlfriend is also from Texas, so we're gonna go see her family um, and probably melt alive because it's gonna be like 105 degrees. So that'll be cool. Should be fun. Um, but we are. Uh, I'm I'm attempting to convince her one of the stops on our way to and fro is Amarillo. And I'm attempting to convince her to uh, catch a sod poodles game. One of the nights that we're going to stop in Amarillo. So possibly next Friday, uh, they are home, I believe against Tulsa. So I may get a chance to see uh, some blaze Alexander and uh, some of the other top prospects on that uh, Amarillo sod poodles team. Uh, Corbin Carroll, man. Corbin Carroll also. Uh, Blaze Alexander was fresh in my brain because he's a uh, member of the latest edition of the Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week this week. Um, and yeah, Corbin Carroll will be there. Um, the uh, Tulsa Drillers, also a, a fairly stacked roster, although Michael Bush obviously has, has moved up, but Jacob Amaya is still there. So we'll see. We'll see if I can swing through. If anything else, I'm going to make her let me stop and buy a hat. Yeah, right. Uh, and you also, if you need to sell her, just say, like, it's going to be the most hitter-friendly game you're going to see. Yeah. And you guys live in Denver, which right. I know is saying something. Coors! But, yeah. If, if, yeah, they should have, like, a Hodgetown cheer. Right. Because the way the ball sails out of that ballpark, it's not just because high elevation or whatever. It's because they built the ballpark and the wind is crazy in Amarillo. It's very uh, old-school Cal League. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a little, um, so, uh, it's a little Lancaster feeling. Yeah, so when you're looking at Blaze Alexander stats and Corbin Carroll stats, I implore you to also check out like their splits 
because sometimes they can get a little crazy. In Corbin Carroll's case, yeah, he's actually doing great up both home and the road this year uh, for Amarillo. But yeah, it, it can you can get some lopsided games in that one. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, if anybody is tuned in with the sod poodles, um, feel free to uh, send an email or something to guilt trip my girlfriend into letting us come to a game. Uh, I think that'll be, I think it'll be fantastic. Uh, so thanks for hanging out with us on this week's edition of the show before the show, as, uh, Sam noted, it's going to be a little bit different, um, this week, but we will, uh, hear Sam and Ben catch up here in just a little while. Josh Jackson will swing by for ghosts of the minors, uh, coming up a little while later. And, uh, before we dive in, thanks for hanging out with us. You can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. We haven't gotten an email in a while. If you've got like a burning question about the minor leagues, uh, or about the art of this podcast which I can't imagine you will uh, send us an email podcast at MILB.com. The only emails that we've gotten lately are like, would it give, would it be okay if I sent you a list of our catalog categories for bath mats? It's not really exciting. Um, so let us know your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns. And if you need a good deal on bath mats, because we continually get hit up on things like that. You can also find us on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon, uh, Ben Hill at Ben's Biz, and Josh Jackson at Josh Jackson, M-I-L-B. And uh, let's kick it off. Three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, unfortunately, we kick off with a bummer of injury news as the top pitching prospect in the game of baseball from the Baltimore Orioles organization, Grayson Rodriguez has been shut down for at least uh, a few months, if not the remainder of the season. Um, that is a huge bummer. It is a grade two lat strain. It looked like Grayson Rodriguez was maybe one start away from his big league debut. He was fantastic in his last outing uh, for AAA Norfolk in the Baltimore Orioles system. Instead, uh, Orioles GM Michael Elias said he probably wouldn't be back to action until September or at a point even later that would force the Orioles to just look at 2023. Um, it was uh, the final start at his AAA stop that put Grayson Rodriguez out of commission, uh, but he had been outstanding so far this year, a 2.09 ERA in 11 starts at AAA. Uh, this sucks, quite simply, and especially – for Orioles fans who I think were, you know, kind of starting to feel like, all right, maybe there's a little bit of optimism here. I mean, obviously there've been the struggles and the bumps and bruises for, for guys like Adley Rutschman. Um, but, you know, seeing him and uh, somebody like Grayson Rodriguez at the big league level makes you feel like the next wave is at least here. Now, one of those big pieces of that puzzle is delayed for at least a while, if not until next season. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny hearing them talk about it. It's not funny. I mean, it's kind of sad. But when they're saying, like, we're trying to get him ready for the opening day rotation in 2023, which basically makes it sound like he was major league ready, like you were saying before, Tyler. He may have been one start away. But uh, the way they were talking about preparation for him for 2023, it's like, all right, if we want him in our opening day rotation next year and that's coming off an injury, that basically means he was major league ready now. And obviously the, the proof is in the pudding there. You can see how well he did. You can see how well he was holding up going deeper into starts and deeper into starts. I don't think any of that caused an injury. It's just kind of a freak right lat strain, grade two. Um, you know, sometimes that shuts down guys for weeks or months, like you said. And if that gets him to September, I mean, it's just the timing of it is what's the unfortunate part. If this happened in March, it would be unfortunate then because he'd be missing the 
beginning of the season, but maybe he'd be getting back now and trying to push for a major league debut. So the fact that this happened basically right square in the middle of the season uh, is really unfortunate for Grayson Rodriguez. Um, you know, just for O's fans, I know O's fans were super excited about him coming up. He was the real deal. Uh, you know, we're pitching is kind of down across the minor leagues right now in terms of top pitching prospects, but he was by, by far the best. And you can even make a case. Maybe he was the best prospect in baseball before the injury. I mean, we're getting to a point now where Adley Rutschman is in the majors. Riley green is number two right now. And will ascend to number one, whenever Adley Rutschman graduates, but like Grayson Rodriguez is right there. I think with Riley green in terms of prospect status. Um, so we're probably still going to be talking about Grayson Rodriguez as a prospect going into next year. And it's going to be a lot of ifs it's if he's healthy, when he's healthy. Um, this is what the fastball looks like. It's upper nineties. The changeup is incredibly good. It's plus plus he's got a curveball and a slider that work well, but we just won't have seen it. I almost wonder if we're going to get to a point where he's a candidate for the Arizona fall league, maybe even. Um, you think back to last year and, and Mackenzie Gore pitched in the Arizona Fall League and yeah. he didn't have injury problems. He had delivery and control problems, but missed a lot of time, missed a lot of time, game. was sent back to a complex to work on all that stuff. Pitched in the AFL, looked close to his normal self, not all the way there. And now look at Mackenzie Gore at the major league level. He's one of the, the best pitchers in the National League, never mind a rookie of the league, rookie of the year. Contender. So, you know, if they are, do decide to hold him out, um, for the rest of the minor league season, part of me hopes that the AFL is an option for him. So we get to at least see him a little bit because he's too exciting a pitcher to, to go that long without seeing if he, if he is healthy, and that's a big if. Yeah, that is a huge bummer. And obviously our, uh, our best wishes to Grayson Rodriguez for getting better, uh, here in this 2022 season, which moves us along to strike two. And that is the open of rookie level play complex league play which kicked off this week the arizona complex league the florida complex league and the dominican summer league as well uh if you are somebody who's new to minor league baseball or doesn't remember entirely how this all shook out this time three years ago we would have been discussing the start of short season play in the northwest league and the pioneer league and the appalachian league the new york penn league not the case anymore as rookie ball now really is limited just to those complex level circuits um but there's a lot of talent there and uh it's something where now the youngest prospects pretty much all centralized in those three leagues. There isn't quite the same diaspora across, you know, seven different leagues. Um, so Sam, give us kind of an overview of where we are with the, the ACL and the FCL, especially. Yeah. Well, one that I'm really keeping my eye on is in the ACL um, because there is one top 100 prospect who is opening the season in a complex league. And that is number 83 overall prospect, Christian Hernandez, a shortstop of the Cubs organization. Um, you know, we've been high on Christian Hernandez since he signed in, in January 2021, signed for $3 million that year. All five of his tools grade out to at least above average. Uh, his run tool is plus. His arm tool is plus. He can be a good hitter. He can be a good power hitter, which is saying something for a shortstop prospect. Uh, what I loved was obviously he's going to have some hype to him. He homered in his first Arizona Complex League at bat. Uh, so it just immediately, you knew all eyes were going to be on him and then you, and you performed not going to look too much into it, but it does speak to, you know, his power potential and what he can do down there in the ACL last year, uh, he played in the Dominican summer league as many new signings did. He batted 285, 398, 424 finished with an 822 OPS 
in 47 games, had five homers and 21 steals. Um, so obviously the the groundwork was there last year in the DSL. It's why we're so high on him. The Cubs are so high on him, giving, like I said, a $3 million bonus for him coming into the year. Uh, if we're looking at the FCL, one guy I got my eye on just because he's so fascinating as both a prospect and a kind of backstory is Bubba Chandler of the Pittsburgh Pirates system. Um, he's number nine. They're their number nine prospect right now. They took him in the third round last year. You might remember him as a guy who was set to become a quarterback at Clemson uh, and was basically talked out of that with, again, a $3 million bonus from the Pirates. Uh, they list him on the FCL roster as a two-way player. The Pirates have talked about doing that with him, um, giving him an, an opportunity to play two ways. It's something I think it's part of the reason why he signed. He can be a shortstop. He can be a right-handed pitcher. Um, I think he might have a better chance to be a two-way player than a Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn, St. Louis Cardinals system, why I'm very high on and has done really well this year with the bat, but it seems like they've gone away from him from pitching, even though he has the best infield arm in minor league baseball. It seems like with Chandler, the Pirates are are going to give him a longer leash. Now, we'll see how that's going to work out. It might be at a point where, hey, you're too athletic to just have you pitch every fifth day. Um, we want to keep you in the field as well. Looking at his scouting grades, the fastball is plus, the curveball is above average. He's got a slider and changeup that could be good. It seems like he has a higher ceiling on the mound, but that's going to be fascinating just to see how those guys work out. Um, you know, his role and how often he pitches and how often he plays the field. Uh, I love to hear about it. I mean, again, we've had we talked about Mason Wynn. We had Hunter Green a couple of years ago, who people thought could be a two-way player when he entered the red system, and that, that didn't end up working out because he threw the ball too dang hard, and now he's a major league pitcher. Um, so obviously there's two different routes that this could go, but we're going to be following him pretty closely for sure as he gets going down there in the Sunshine State. Which moves us to strike three this week, a check-in on the minor league home run chase as we hit the month of June and uh, guys are mostly approaching the 50-game mark played across full-season leagues uh, and levels. And it's really right now a three-player race for the minor league home run lead. Uh, Kerry Carpenter of the Detroit Tigers organization, Moises Gomez of the St. Louis Cardinals, and Matt Gorski of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Those guys with 20, 19, and 18 home runs uh, so far this season. The uh, the race for this, not always uh, inclusive of just highly ranked prospects. Um, and that is one of the things that is kind of most fascinating about the, the home run chase every year. Uh, in fact, among these three guys, only one of them is a ranked prospect and that's Moises Gomez, who is the number 30 prospect in the top 30 in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. But, uh, Sam, give us the, the lowdown. Kerry Carpenter last year, 112 games with Erie. He hit 15 homers. He's got 20 through 48 games so far this year to lead the minor leagues. Yeah, I mean, if we're handicapping who I think of these three is the favorite to win the whole thing, I think it's probably going to be Moises Gomez. And not just because he's a ranked prospect, like you said, even though, you know, I oversee the Cardinals top 30 for MLB pipeline and I moved him in there just because he's off to such a torrid start. But you think back to who he was in the Rays system, power has always been his big deal. I mean, the Rays were very high on his power. There was a time where it was debatable about who had the most power in the system. And he was right there with Randy or Rosarena, even Rosarena coming off his really powerful postseason uh, in 2020. So the power has always been there for Moises Gomez. It seems like he's kind of toned down his swing a little bit. It's not as violent. He doesn't have such a huge leg lift, which is what I think led to a lot of the strikeouts before. You look at Kerry Carpenter, he's repeating a level with 20 home runs. That's great what he's doing, already exceeding what he did last year in Erie. 
Um, but how sustainable is this? Especially if he does move up to Toledo, he's going to be challenged. We're already seeing that with Matt Gorski. Matt Gorski went off at high A Greensboro. I believe he only has one home run through about a dozen games in Altoona. So he's being challenged at double A. Yes, you can make the case that Moises Gomez is probably, you know, earning a triple A AAA debut at some point soon, and he'll be challenged by triple A pitchers. Um, but at least he has the track record of power that these other two don't, at least elite power. Um, so if if the elimination of that huge leg kick is good enough for him to make consistent power, consistent contact more often, um, I think uh, I think Gomez certainly has all the tools to to win out this race eventually. What is he going to finish with? Is he going to beat out MJ Melendez's total of 41 from last year? I think he's on pace to do that right now. Again, getting called up to AAA is going to cause its own problems and you know could slow him a bit. And he did slow up in May compared to April. But June, he's back off to, to a powerful start. I think he's slugging 700 in June so far through the first week. So I, out of these three, I think I trust Moises Gomez most so far. Tyler, do you have an opinion on that? Uh, I would say probably the same uh, with Moises Gomez, somebody who has just proven himself um, throughout his adjustments, which is always a challenging thing to do. And, um, you know, last year he struggled at at, uh, at Montgomery when he was still in the race system. And now to be back at double A and be doing the things that he's doing, uh, I would say that probably sticks out most to me. Um, and like you said, I think with Matt Gorski, the, the challenge is going to be, can he flip the script on what he is seeing now in double a 17 homers and 37 games at Greensboro. Just one, as you noted with Altoona so far, um, Kerry Carpenter, you know, taking nothing away from Kerry Carpenter. He's been really impressive too, but Moises Gomez just seems like he has the most upside. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that I will say one guy to not sleep on, however, is last week's extraordinarily entertaining interview, Vinny Pasquantino and the Kansas city Royals organization. He's got 15, so he's right outside of the hunt. There are a couple of guys with 16 homers and then a crowd with 15. Uh, don't sleep on our boy, Vinny. And if you missed the interview, go back and listen because it is so much fun. Yeah, I think the bigger question is going to become like, and Vinny, I know it's been a little cold in, in the last week. Not our fault. I want to say that. The show before the show bump. I know, right? Slash curse. Slash curse. Um, I think we have more of a bump than a curse. I want to put that on the record. But uh I would agree with that. But the only thing is, uh, my question is, can he catch those other guys before he eventually gets to Kansas City? That's the right. problem. We go through this every year when we try to predict the home run leader for right. minor leagues in our predictions. It's like you don't want to take somebody at AAA because if they do lead the minors in home runs, they're probably getting going to get called up unless it's an MJ Melendez situation in which they move up to AAA towards the end of the year. Um, so Vinny, if he gets close to these guys and, and hits five homers in the next week, the they're already allowed calls for him to go to Kansas City as it is. If that happens, it it would almost be malpractice for Kansas City not to call him up. So it might be like, where does Vinny rank when he finally gets that call? And we know he has his phone on him. If you heard that interview last week, he always has his phone on always. just in case. Yeah. Always, unless he forgets it in his car and then his girlfriend has to go get it while saying, why do you need your phone? Uh, man, that, that conversation was so much fun. Go back and listen to last week's show if you uh, did not listen. Uh, to our interview with Vinny Pasquantino. And that'll do it for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, as noted, a little bit different style show. So uh, Sam is going to be back with Ben Hill coming up here in a little bit. Uh, and then we'll hear from our good pal, Josh Jackson. And uh, moving along, show before the show continues next. Hi, everybody. It's Sam again, just jumping in just to let you guys know that we recorded three strikes 
on Wednesday. This is a podcast that normally comes out on Friday, so there was always the chance that news would break in between recording time and publishing time. Guess what? That happened. Late Wednesday night, we heard news that number four overall prospect, Gabriel Moreno, was being called up by the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, as of right now, we don't exactly know what type of role Moreno is going to play, how much playing time he's going to get, or indeed when he's going to debut. But the Blue Jays have made it clear that he will be called up for this weekend's series against Detroit. Um, So he's going to be a catching option for them. Obviously, with a prospect of his stature, you don't just call him up to be a backup. They're calling him up to get some sort of playing time. It's going to be interesting to see how they make it work between him and Alejandro Kirk, who has been one of the best catchers in the American League this year, both from an offensive and defensive perspective. But from Moreno's perspective, you look at what he has been and why he – what he has been this season at AAA Buffalo and why he is one of the best prospects in baseball. He has one of the best hit tools in all of the minor leagues. At the time he was called up, he was batting 324 through 36 games at Buffalo. That was the ninth best average among AAA qualifiers. Uh, Since his breakout season last year in 2021, there have been 162 catchers to get at least 300 plate appearances. He leads them all with a 345 average over that span. And he's third with a 151 WRC plus. That's actually higher than the WRC plus for both MJ Melendez and Adley Rutschman, two top 100 prospects who are also in the major leagues right now. Moreno this season with Buffalo has thrown out more than half of attempted base stealers. Uh, he leads AAA catchers in that regard. He's also ranked second in all of minor league baseball and caught stealing rate. He's an athletic catcher. He's a former infielder. He was signed as an infielder out of his native Venezuela a couple of years ago for only $25,000. Um, but that athleticism has obviously transferred over to his work behind the plate. He's got a good arm. He's got quick actions behind the plate, which I think lead to, you know, helping him out, getting with getting those caught stealings uh, by the bunches. But I'm fascinated to see how the Charlie Montoyo and the Jays are going to make this work uh, between him and Kirk. They're both right-handed options. They're both good defensive catchers, as I mentioned. Uh, it could be that Moreno is going to catch two times a week just to get used to certain pitchers and, and get to know the Toronto staff. That's a big deal for such a young catcher as him. Um, but like I said up top, the Jays would not bring him up if they were not going to play him. He is too good. He needs consistent playing time to get better. We expect that to come starting this weekend uh, with a series versus Detroit. Right now, the Blue Jays are about half dozen games behind the Yankees in the A at least, but they have aspirations to win a World Series. If they are going to hunt down the Yankees in the AL East, they're going to need all hands on deck. Adding Moreno is a big piece of that. Um, So good news on the prospect front there. Just wanted to chirp in here real quick, give you guys an update on Gabriel Moreno and the fact that you can find him this weekend on the Major League side for the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, now coming up next is a conversation between myself and Benjamin Hill, who is back from the road. Well, we said it was going to be a little bit of a different episode this week just because of so many moving parts. Uh, And speaking of moving parts... Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We have moved the podcast a little bit. Normally we record this part 
from our offices in Manhattan. Currently, we are basically beachside in Brooklyn at Coney Island. Uh, we are about, what would you say, Ben, 100 feet foul? Uh, we're just to the left of the left field pole here at Maimonides Park in Coney Island, home of the Brooklyn Cyclones. Uh, ben and I will be at the Cyclones game here tonight on Thursday. I'm sorry, we're, we're sending out the bad signal a little late so you guys can't come join us, but um, we are going to be at a minor league stadium. But before we do that, I want to bring in Ben, who is back from the road from his trips through New England. Hi, Ben. Hey, Sam. Great to be here. Yeah, we, we are in an alleyway uh, with uh, a ballpark on one side of us and a roller coaster on the other side of us. And that roller coaster is not the iconic Cyclone roller coaster, which is a few blocks further down. Uh, it is the Thunderbolt, which if you've never ridden the Thunderbolt in Coney Island, it has one of the most extreme inclines and then vertical drops I've ever experienced. And I would recommend it because we are all about experiences on this podcast and in life. And I'm glad you said that just in case anybody hears screaming happening behind us. It's nothing bad is happening. It's people just enjoying their Thursday afternoon. Well, it'd be a good time to murder us right now <laughs> because uh, no one will be the wiser and the people will be hearing this, uh, us going to our deaths. Well, no, let's just uh, let's, let's, let's keep it light. Yeah. Let's keep it light. No, things are fun at Coney Island. We don't need to be painting that picture. Um, but like I said, you are back from the road. You took a jaunt through New England starting out earlier this week, or actually last weekend, in Hartford. Um, when we were talking to you last week, you were on your way to Hartford. You were in Western Massachusetts um, going down to Hartford. Just take us back through Dunkin' Donuts Park and, and what stood out to you on this return visit for you to see the yard goats. Yeah, I first visited Hartford, Dunkin' Donuts Park in 2017. That was the inaugural season of that ballpark. And so it was nice to go back five years later and um, just experience it. Not anew, but again, with, with a five-year gap. I was there for a Copa night where they played as a... Uh, the Chivos, the Los Chivos, which is a, a literal translation of goat. Uh, there are actual literal goats in the ballpark, um, led by one named Fancy Pants. It is a, a local farm that, for a lot of the games, brings it out. They have a pen in the outfield. So I do love the commitment to the goat, goat theme throughout the ballpark. Um, did meet up with a designated eater. And um, the number one thing is they now have a spicy donut chicken sandwich. And it's a honey sriracha glazed chicken on a glazed donut with a little munchkin on top and uh, there was no graceful way to eat that it was really sticky and messy but uh, a really impressive item and as you might know if you follow minor league baseball if you've been to hartford it's a beautiful ballpark still one of the newer ones uh not just in the eastern league but in all of minor league baseball but it feels like it could be a triple a park just in in the way it's laid out with the amenities with the room to move and um I just really enjoyed being there again and uh, got some good material and looking forward to writing it up. Yeah, and you mentioned how the food has slightly changed. <clears throat> what else has maybe changed about that area? Because when you went there for the first time, it was hard for just getting to be a minor league city again and Dunkin' Donuts Park really opening up and everything was new. And now they've had a few years to settle in. Was there anything else that stood out to you that had changed? Well, in the park itself, not so much. No, I don't think there's been major changes to the park because it's still you know, fairly new. But one thing is that park opened in 2017. And if you may recall, um, you know, very controversial, a lot of... Uh, arguing between the developer and the city it was actually delayed for a year the team spent a year on the road but anyway all of this was part of a much larger uh development plan and it was nice to see i believe they're calling it phase two now there's multi-phases in this plan um 
If you're going to the ballpark, uh, it might be a bit tough to park because there's a lot of construction going on around there. There's uh, you know, some uh, residential buildings with ground floor retail being built. And I do think that you know, as the years go by, and certainly in the near future, at least for this next phase, uh, you're going to see a lot more uh, activity around the ballpark itself as opposed to just... Uh, the activity taking place only inside the ballpark. Neat. Uh, and moving two states to the northeast of Hartford, Connecticut, we go to New Hampshire, where they were the Fisher Cats. But when you were there, they were the Manchester Chicken Tenders, uh, which we talked about a little bit last week. But you got to finally witness uh, the ode to the Chicken Tender there in Manchester, New Hampshire. What was it like being back there? Yeah, it was great. I hadn't been there since uh, 2015, and uh, that ballpark, Dental Dental Delta Dental stadium not dental dental but try saying delta dental three times fast it is tough you're just going to start repeating dental after a while delta dental stadium um i I kind of i don't want to say gained a new appreciation for that ballpark but um it's not one that when you just see it it really jumps out at you but it's interesting because it's along the river uh there's train tracks behind it there's uh, views of a downtown Manchester from the ballpark itself. There's that Hilton Garden Hotel in left field where you could literally get a room and watch the game on, on the deck. So it's a quirky kind of idiosyncratic ballpark nestled into a very tight, specific area with a lot going on when you really like settle yourself and look around. And yes, they played as the chicken tenders. Uh, that is because, you know, the many things we learn in minor league baseball. In 1974, chicken tenders were invented at the Puritan Backroom restaurant in Manchester and uh, you know now chicken tenders are a thing but that story I was a little skeptical at first I think I kind of expressed some skepticism in previous segments but it really does seem to check out I interviewed Arthur Pappas the third generation owner of the Puritan back room he gave me some background on that he was at the ballpark to throw out a first pitch and they did sell uh, you know, the, the Fisher Cats have chicken tenders every night at the ballpark, but I'd say those are usually, you know, run-of-the-mill ballpark chicken tenders. Good if you're looking for chicken tenders, but not chicken tenders to write home about. And, I, I mean, who ever writes home these days about a food item they got at a ballpark? But you might want to write home about the Puritan Backroom chicken tenders, which were for sale at the ballpark. There are three types, uh, primary three primary types of pure and backroom chicken tenders original buffalo and coconut they did not have buffalo at the ballpark or if they did it was only in the sweet areas but i'm a you know with the common people so uh, I, I did not get the buffalo but got some coconut or my designated eater rather got some coconut got some original the original uh came with this special pure and backroom brand branded duck sauce and it was a very thin kind of watery duck sauce but mm. that's a big thing you get the duck sauce with the pure and backroom chicken tenders but they looked great really well breaded uh, great cuts of meat and in talking to the uh the owner of the restaurant um arthur pappas he was um concerned about the promotion because you know they sell a lot of chicken tenders at their restaurant but at the end of the day it's basically like a large diner and they don't do things like this to scale uh so he was concerned about the scalability of selling them at the ballpark but they had 10,000 chicken tenders uh, for sale at the ballpark and i would imagine they sold all of them because that was a sellout that night it turned out to be a double header so um there's a lot of baseball but definitely by the time the second game started uh, it was a full house there and the lines for the concession stands whether you're getting chicken tenders or otherwise they were wrapping all the way through the concourse which i don't like to see in the sense that people are missing so much of the game but i do like to see in the sense that so many people came out to have fun at the ballpark on a Saturday night when the chicken tenders were in action. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big part of it, right, is getting people to the ballpark. Hopefully they got to see a bunch of the game too, but the, tapping into something that is unique to that area and something that, you know, hopefully they learned about too. Uh, you know, coming from New England, I didn't know the chicken tender history with Manchester, New Hampshire, so that was pretty cool to learn about. Uh, moving one more state northeast 
to start this week. You spent some time in Maine, and not just in Maine. If you're going to be in Maine and you're related to this podcast in any way, you're going to be there with Josh Jackson, which you were. You got a whole tour of Southern Maine, I feel like. So what was it like spending the day with Josh? And, and you guys were supposed to be there for a Portland Sea Dogs game, but learning a little bit more than just about the Sea Dogs. Yeah, absolutely. I got to um, Maine, to Brunswick, where Josh lives, uh, on Monday night. And uh, we walked around, and I wish I remembered the name of the river, but we walked to a river uh, where the sturgeon were really jumping. And these huge sturgeon were just jumping up in the air and splashing back down. And then from there, uh, we crossed a bridge into another county. I believe it was Topsham County, and went to the Sea Dog brewery no relation to the sea dogs and i was like well i'm in maine i gotta get a lobster roll and they even had a gluten-free option and josh was like prepare for some sticker shock and i was like oh, i'm in maine their lobsters are cheaper here that lobster roll was 38 dollars. but you know when in rome when in maine when in portland or when in when in that area uh you know no regrets and then the whole next day before we went to the ballpark uh josh a Maine native, you know, who who lived in New York City, who lived in Los Angeles, and now he's back in Maine. Uh, he took a lot of time and pride in uh, showing me around. We went to an iconic lighthouse. Uh, there was a food truck, and I was like, oh, I get a lobster roll. It was like $40. I think I, I lost a lot of money on this trip. And market <laughs> prices will get you on New England seafood. Oh, my goodness. But uh, I got two lobster rolls, uh, one on Monday, one on Tuesday. We also went, uh, as part of our sightseeing trip, we went to uh, Old Orchard Beach and uh, saw the Old Orchard Beach Ballpark, which is the home of the Maine Guides, uh, a AAA International League team from 1984 to 1988. They then moved to scranton Wilkesbury, or technically Music, Pennsylvania, and became the scranton Wilkesbury Red Barons. But before they were there, they were in Old Orchard Beach. And that ballpark was pretty well kept up. I mean, I'm sure not to professional AAA standards, but certainly in, in its ability to still host baseball games. I believe they still have concerts. Um, so it was great to see that ballpark. Great to visit an iconic lighthouse. Um, what else did we do? We did a lot, but it's all kind of blurring together. But we ultimately went to Hadlock Field, home of the Sea Dogs. I hadn't been there since 2015, and that was a lot of fun. Um, it felt like the way I used to be on the road a little bit more, where, you know, spending time on the radio, did a between and in con- with Emma Tiedman. It was great to meet her. Yeah, uh, yep. You know, great broadcaster and great to see her in action and, and uh, spend some time on the air with her, um, you know, tangent upon tangent. But, uh, you know, an issue we were kind of running into during my segment on the radio is the pitch clock, I think, is very positive in a lot of ways and keeping the game moving. But I am noticing that... It, We'll have to talk to more broadcasters about this. It is tougher to interview someone during an inning break or even as a broadcaster to stretch out one of your own anecdotes because the the pitches come fast and furious. Speaking of coming fast and furious, the lobsters are coming fast and furious in the... uh the lobster toss in which in typical minor league baseball fashion team employees wearing yellow fisherman raincoats have lobsters on lacrosse sticks and they were fleeing them at josh and i and we had to catch them in a lobster crate and uh we were successful in that in that endeavor and uh speaking of crates and carts uh one is being rolled by us right now so excuse the audio difficulties it is tough to do a podcast segment when there are food service workers, roller coasters, a baseball stadium, the ocean, and just the general fun and sun of Coney Island in June. Uh, but I had a great time in Portland. I uh, had a great time in that between inning contest, a great time on the radio. Uh, spoke to Jimmy, uh, an 87-year-old usher. Going to, think, write up a little story on him. And I spoke not with Slugger, because he, of course, cannot speak with a mascot, but I spoke with someone who was intimately familiar with Slugger and how he operates and uh, I'm going to do a story on Slugger because if you've been uh, paying attention to minor league baseball, he's been doing some of the best mascot work in the game for the last couple seasons. Really great skits, sketches, between inning stuff with uh, a lot of humor, props, a kind of silent movie, vaudeville, Charlie Chaplin type style. Really appreciative of that. So really glad to get uh, 
talk to someone close to him and uh, so I can write a story on the mascot. So great time in Portland and uh, long drive back to New York City yesterday and then bam, we have this work outing today here in Coney Island. So I still kind of feel like I'm half on the road <laughs> and uh, it's been fun. We just went on the Cyclone we roller did. coaster and uh, we're going to go to a game tonight and uh, I paid $17 for a frozen pina colada. That, that, all of that is true. I, I, I feel like it, we've given everybody the sounds of Coney Island of what it is like to be around a game. You're talking about the crate going past us. There are cars going by us. There's a roller coaster beyond us, people walking by us in the alley. Uh, we're giving you the sounds of what it is like to see a Cyclones game. Speaking of which, we should probably head in ourselves. But it was one of my favorite road trips when, A, you go to you know nearby my hometown. I did uh, in drive by a sign for Palmer. Yes, and you kept going as most people do. I did, but I did note the birthplace of Sam Dykstra. Yes. Sign. So, there was one. There really was. You think I'm joking? I know, I know was. there. I'm sure there was. Uh, knowing where you went, I'm sure there were signs for Palmer. But anyway. No, but a I, sign for you. It said the birthplace of Sam, Sam Dykstra. Dykstra. Yes. Um, but now, I was, now motorcycles are going motorcycle. What I was going to say is not only my favorite time of road trips when you go to New England, but also when you come back and there's like 15 stories that are going to carry you and us, not through the, just this podcast, but the stuff you write. Um, so lots more to come from New England. But until then, Ben, thank you for joining us here in this alley in Coney Island. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next week. Yeah, it's been great talking to you, Sam, as it always is. And uh, this is a memorable segment. And uh, I think we had a good time doing it. And we're going to go have a, a blast at the Coney Island Cyclone, the Brooklyn Cyclones <laughs> in Coney Island. Woo! All right, here's Josh Jackson with Ghosts of the Miners. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. soft evidence of the others. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Sand Lake Steelheads. B. The Corpus Christi Crispy Snappers. C. The Taunton Herrings. Well, I gave you a couple red herrings, but you just may have been wise enough to pick C. The Taunton Herrings who floundered about the New England League and the Colonial League in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, representing the seat of Massachusetts's Bristol County, where to this day the Taunton River has a noteworthy herring run. Baseball's Taunton herrings weren't exactly shark bait, but I'm afraid they were a small fish in a not very big pond. The Herring's name was used for other Taunton sports clubs, such as the Taunton Herring Cycling Club and the Taunton Herring's Polo Club, previously in the 19th century. But you never smelt the Herring's on the diamond until 1897. But it was in 1899 that Taunton taught the sporting world its importance, 
as that Herrings team boasted an 18-year-old right-hander making his pro debut out of Bucknell University, Christy Mathewson. Mathewson went an unseemly 2-13 for Taunton, but even as the Herrings sunk and stunk, they did nothing to 86 Big Six, who was pitching for the New York Giants the next season. The Herrings, meanwhile, went the way of the Dodo from 1900 until they resurfaced in the Colonial League in 1914 and 1915. The Colonial League was aligned with the Federal League, the third major league of the era. But the Feds couldn't bail out the debt-flooded Herrings or the spinning-out-of-control Fall River Spindles. Both clubs folded by mid-July. And that's how the herrings went belly up. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these flyboys tried to take off in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Renton Air Rockets. B. The Dayton Aviators. C. The Kitty Hawk Cloudbusters. Want to know the answer? Spread your wings and fly. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is opening a hamburger joint, and his neighbors have beef. Isn't that applause for Ghosts of the Miners? These people, people love Josh Jackson. It's it, You're the one who edits this, so do you ever, like, if you particularly enjoy... A ghost, oh, yeah. you just let the, the let it roll out yeah. for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think like that deserves a longer. Listen to these people. Listen to this crowd. Ghosts of control when people laugh. Unbelievable. You know, like, Sam, this is a live studio audience. I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> that I control when people laugh. This is Josh is doing this. Uh, you know, much like wait, wait, don't tell me. He's in uh, he's in a theater up there in Portland, Maine. Uh, every time. Josh should invent a fake theater in which okay, we're going to kill this crowd now. Um, Josh should invent a fake theater in which he is uh, doing this show. Or we should invest in a theater. That, yeah, that'd be even cooler. Yeah, just, as if we're rolling here in money. But Just all of us pitching in to purchase a theater in which Josh tries to regale people with three and a half minute long segments about minor league baseball teams of yore. All of you can buy these seats. They're $180 each, and you can come in for a three-minute show. Sounds terrific to me, actually. I mean, it, it's it's kind of like the Lake Obi-Wan, or what, Obi-Gon. What was it? Uh, Obi-Gon. Yeah, Wobegon. Lake Wobegon, yeah. Yeah. You just turned, uh, you know, Brunswick, Maine. Into- yeah. Yeah. I think it sounds like a great idea. Uh, MILB.TV is your place to catch all the top talent across minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching this week and next week on MILB TV? Yeah. So uh, we didn't talk about this promotion in three strikes almost because I didn't want to make it too Oriole centric, but I will loop back to the O system now uh, to point you guys to Syracuse at Norfolk. Uh, coming up next week because Gunnar Henderson, the number three prospect in the Orioles system, uh, has been promoted to AAA Norfolk. He was he did such a great job at AA Bowie. Um, got it to a point now where we are talking about him as, you know, not just a top 100 prospect, a top 50 prospect, maybe even a top 25 prospect with what he's done at Bowie, hitting 312. He's got an OPS above 1,000 at 1.025. Uh, eight homers on the year, 12 stolen bases. He... It, it's switched on this a little bit of late, but he still left Bowie 
with more walks than strikeouts, 41 walks, 38 strikeouts, which is not something we typically talk about with guys who can be above average two plus sluggers like he can. Um, he's just kind of an average runner, but he's making it play uh, certainly so far this year with that aggression at double A. Uh, fascinated to see how that's going to transfer to triple A. Uh, he's going up with Jordan Westberg, so I still expect him to split time between shortstop and third base. The O's are trying to find how those guys are going to shake out on the infield. Um, but this will be a chance to catch those guys next week. Tyler, what are you watching? I am actually going to stick in that Mets organization and go with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies who are home against New Hampshire coming up this weekend. That Binghamton team uh, is so stacked. We've talked a lot about Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio being on those team that team uh, this year. All three of those guys are top 100 guys, three of the Mets, four top 100 guys. There's only one top 100 prospect on the other side in Aurelvis Martinez uh, for the Blue Jays with New Hampshire. But uh, Alvarez, Beatty, and Mauricio have been so much fun to watch uh, already this season. Those guys have been hot as of late, and uh, you can catch them. Uh, they'll also be on the road at Bowie coming up next week. And you can listen to Adam Pohl do the broadcasts uh, for the Bowie Bay Sox. And he's one of my favorite human beings in minor league baseball. So that's always a treat as well. I was tempted to go with Amarillo just to say like, well, you never know. You might catch me uh, sitting in the crowd. being a. If you go, you have to like make an appearance in the back. I do. I have to like, you know, dive comically for a foul ball or, you know. Well, I was just going to say post up behind home plate and hold up a sign that says, listen to the show before the show. Tune into the show before the show. Yeah. Download link. At MILB.com. Subscribe on your favorite podcast services. I think it'd be pretty cool, actually. I'm just saying. Viral marketing. It's like the Washington State flag on college game day. We should just get somebody to go to every minor league game that has a a good look at the spot behind home plate. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make that work. Are there any, I don't think there are any ballparks anymore in which. I feel like Pawtucket was the last one in which you really didn't get a shot of anybody behind home plate. Uh, McCoy stadium had the old school, like the elevated seating bowl. I don't think there's anywhere like that anymore. And I don't, not, nothing immediately comes to mind. There might be some any people park. What yeah. we're saying is people need to show up with signs to say, listen to the show before the show. So if if you do, we podcast. will gladly retweet you from the mill account. And Absolutely. Get, like, well, yeah. If you can do it, like I've met, you've done this too, Tyler. I've met listeners at the ballpark. Yeah. People come up and say like, hey, love listening to the show every week. If you can somehow get a the show before the show reference on the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, and provide us evidence. We will gladly you know, we'll, spread we'll, the love. Absolutely. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, for Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill and Josh Jackson, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week.